Welcome to one more episode of Sales with Aslan Tab. We're still here. We're still rocking. We're still pumping out amazing content into the market. At least that's, well, unless we're doing that's an illegitimate. That's what we tell ourselves. That's, that's what we tell ourselves. We're making a difference, Tab. Yes. We're serving our people who serve their customers. We're serving leaders who serve their reps who serve their customers. We're serving reps who serve their customers. Um, and we're serving our wives by being out of the house. <laughs> that is true. I could be with my wife right now. Yeah. But we're, honey, we're I'm staying sorry. busy. We're staying I'm busy. Doing another I, podcast with Tom. Yeah, another podcast. No, don't worry. I'll be out of your hair with another podcast <laughs> with Tom. Tab, should we tell our listeners, our vast international audience, about you beating me in golf last week? I don't I didn't really want to bring it up because mm -hmm. There's, there's some emotional things connected to that. I mean, yeah. there's a lot, there's, there's some scars. I know it was yeah. very rough. It was a rough week. Yeah. So, yeah. So but, but it was I, a good week and a bad yeah. week all it, at the same time. You know, Tab and I had a, a, one of our, our bucket list trips. We went to Ireland last week for those of you who don't know us personally. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, Tab played amazing. The weather well, was the amazing. last two days, the last two days. Oh, uh, come on. Clear. Let's let me just sell it. Let me okay. just sell it. They weren't okay. there. They, they weren't, weren't there. You right. were amazing. It was, it wow. was, you were incredible. You, you played most, one of the most difficult courses, Bally Bunyan. You slayed it. I mean, they were, I mean, the caddies were all worshiping you. <laughs> yeah. Right. They, they, they didn't comment on my golf. They commented on my outfit. <laughs> that like, was a highlight know what to say but i like yeah. your outfit that, that was a highlight the one yeah. caddy was enamored by tom mm. you know so anyways, i don't know about that, but anyway we had a blast we're back it's great to do an episode and i'm in tab this is a really this is a little bit of a heady episode a lot some of our yeah. episodes are kind of right down the middle unlike my my shots <laughs> 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 we've been are you saying we're going to shank one today I mean, no, I'm not, let's not, not use that, the word shank just pushed it to the right maybe just push, I pushed yeah, that a little bit push that a little bit so my shots weren't down the middle but this a lot of our podcasts are kind of very um it's very clear what we're talking about and the benefit but but we got a guest today ben ortlip uh, with a company called the culture mri um, yep. and he has done something i i've not seen I mean, mm. that, I mean, I've, you know, we've been around a lot of companies. I've been in business for, you know, I don't know, 30 something years. I've never seen anybody be able to come up with an instrument that quantifies and allows you to measure your, the, your culture, the health of your culture. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's narrowed in on kind of these 15 drivers of culture and, you know, how do you measure that and the impact of it? And he's got an MRI that will give you yeah. feedback. Very affordable. It's an incredible tool. Um, so he's going to unpack that for us. And it's, I think it's, it's, you know, if you're in sales, you may go, well, what's this got to do with culture got to do with me? Well, you want to manage your own career. This yeah. helps you figure out where you're going to thrive. Yeah. So hang with this because, because Ben unpacks. When he starts talking about the needs, it helps you figure out, okay, because I even learned like, okay, I need that. That's why I sometimes are engaged or not engaged. Even I'm an owner, I still struggle yeah. with engagement because I'm going, this isn't quite meeting my needs. This is not really, mm -hmm. but the pandemic really hit me hard and I wasn't really sure why. And he explains that. And for leaders, he clearly maps out what our role is and how we drive culture, the impact of that. So um, Ben, we didn't get too much in the show, but, but, um, his background, it's really, he's got a really interesting background. He kind of fell into 
uh, you learned, I guess, the research driving this this tool and and service that he provides came from working as a writer with some of the greatest thought leaders in business. I mean, he's written books, and I don't want to share this because of the names because he's. Um, I don't know what his agreements are with the others, but he's written books for people that are world famous, like yeah. renowned thought leaders in business and leadership. Um, and so that kind of led him to a journey of researching and figuring out what drives culture. And so he's, he's going to share that with us. And also Tab, he did, we didn't talk about on the show. He has eight kids. That that's a podcast in and of itself. Yeah, that's yeah, you know, we need to have him back and talk about it. He's got eight kids. So well, I'm looking um, forward to it. Yeah, so let's so join our show. We're gonna we're gonna meet with Ben Ortlip, the CEO and founder of the Cultural MRI, and he's gonna share with us what we need to know about driving vibrant culture. Ben, welcome to the show, my friend. It is great to see you. This is so fun. This is like the old days, hanging out with you guys. Old days, the old days. But um, obviously, we mentioned this in the intro to the show, but you've had a very interesting career. And I can't, yeah. I, 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 I can't wait to hear you tie it all together. You know, you started out working for this big ad agency. I was hoping right. you were going to tie it together because oh, yeah. <laughs> you're still trying to get those knots to untie. Yeah. <laughs> they say in the end, it looks like a finely crafted novel. Well, it still looks like, you know, Scrabble to me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I think you, you, you put it nicely together when I read on your website, but you started off, you started off kind of on the marketing side, right? You worked for an agency, a big, a large, what was the agency? I forgot. I, well, I try not to say their name because okay. I say so many bad things. About okay. Work. All right. That's right. That's true. <laughs> so I we'll just keep seven. them out of it. It's yeah, a big, a big ad agencies. agency, the number one or two ad agency. Well, it wasn't that, but it, no, but it was, you it was know, a big. I had a, I, the, I think the point is I had a great, I had the career I always wanted. I had a career that if you describe it to anybody, um, you know, it was great. It was, it had all the things. And yet the way I say it is, you know, how can a job this good be this bad? Yeah. Um, because there was something about it. And I think that really describes, you know, a lot of people's work, you know, that there's yeah. everything on, on paper that you would ever ask for. And what we're seeing today, I mean, goodness, the great resignation is an example of how people who otherwise on paper have exactly what they ever wanted but there's something about it that the minute I get a little bit of disruption, you know, the pandemic and maybe the government giving me a little money to hold me over, I'm out of there. And so yeah. I think for everybody, um, you know, there's sort of this surface level that describes work and it's sort of the package. Um, but underneath the surface, there's this other dimension that maybe doesn't sit quite right. And I think we've learned, you know, we think that we're supposed to accept that part of it. Yeah. Like um, it's supposed to be that. Yeah. Sort it's of like negative oh, well, it's or bad. work yeah. after. Yeah. yeah it's work right. after all, you know, suck it up and go. Mm -hmm. What I've learned to see it as is, you know, we have the, the visible surface package of work, mm -hmm. but what, what I call this underneath part is the social contract. Mm -hmm. And so what I've studied ever since I sort of, you know, uh, had my, uh, midlife crisis, uh, or I guess it was more like a 20 something crisis. What I've studied is I hope that wasn't midlife. Yes. Yeah. Well, you've yeah, I, I, I think you made it. I think you yeah. made it. 
I hope that was, um, yeah, good point. So, uh, <laughs> but the social contract is really the thing um, that is less studied and has way more relevance, as, as I'll explain. But yeah, um, because it's changed so many times. And so I ended up going back and looking at sort of the history of the social contract in the workplace, going all the way back to the Industrial Revolution and just watching. And when you say out. social contract, help me understand that. So you. Yeah, so you, there's you, all of these these unspoken, nonverbal, um, you know, cues and expectations and needs that we have as workers, you know. Right. Um, and really the relationship between an employer and an employee um, is contractual, but it's also... Uh, the social contract speaks to all the unwritten things, all the mm -hmm. assumptions that we have, you know, for example, um, you know, I expect to be treated with dignity and respect. Um, yeah. That's not written down anywhere. Um, yeah. It's, it's an so assumption. So they're unwritten social contracts is yeah, what you're saying. There's I, expectations we come into the workforce with. Yeah. Another part of the social mm -hmm. contract that I think is expected is, you know, I expect the company to kind of have its act together. Right. Um, so that I can do the things that I'm equipped to do. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm expecting that the job is not a dead end job. You know, that's part mm. of the social contract between me and my okay. employer that this is actually potentially leading to something, you know, so, it's, it's what you said it would be. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, or what I thought it should yeah. be, whether right. you said it or not. So, okay. um, so there's all of these things. And, and this to me is, you know, if you think about it, uh, the word culture is is sort of the repository for all of these sort of nebulous concepts like that. You know, we end up saying things like, oh, it's just their culture. Well, mm -hmm. that's just us, you know, grabbing the, the rings because we don't have the terms, you know, to describe that. Like, we'll say very tangible things um, about a person or about a place, a company. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about Chick-fil-A all the time, just because yeah. maybe we're because we're here mm -hmm. in Atlanta or anything. Well, so, you know, but you, you can point to a couple of specific things like the speed of their drive through or the quality and consistency of their food. Um, and then after you get to two or three kind of tangible things like that, the person kind of throws their hands up and says, oh, it's just their culture. You know, it's a whole right. bunch of stuff, you know, like they're always the nice to you. They're yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah it's just the yeah. way people are there. Well, you in hear this words, all the time. Yeah. I mean, cult, I mean, that's talk. That's like a big buzzword right now. Right. I mean, culture, everything's culture, culture. Um, how, how would, I mean, maybe this is where you're going, but how, how would you define that? Is that kind yeah. of where you were going with this? Um, well, happy to. So I define culture as the collective personality of an organization. Ooh, I love so ah. Yeah. So sometimes I call it the soul of the organization. But if you think about it, when you take all of those sort of abstract things, the, the core values, the rituals, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the practices, the traditions, the mission, the vision, all that stuff, um, you know, it all kind of comes together as an embodiment. It gives an essence to an organization the same way it does with a person. And hmm. so, you know, we say someone has a personality or someone has a culture. And so organizations are the collection of a bunch of different people, but they're all contributing to the same thing. They're, they're you know, putting all of those things together um, hmm. and they get personified as an organizational entity. And mm -hmm. so um, culture is that thing. It's, it's the, uh, it, you know, it's the way we describe an entity similar mm -hmm. to the way we would describe a person, you know, we would say, Oh, that's just mm. his personality or that's just the way she is, you know, that's um, good. 
but it's, so it's you your path to, your path to becoming sort of an expert at what drives positive culture the impact of of driving culture how to measure it you kind of how did you morph into that? I mean, how did yeah. you, cause I know you've got a, a very extensive marketing background. You've worked with a lot of big companies. You mentioned Chick-fil-A, Deltos, UPS, Salesforce. Yeah. You've written books. Um, yeah. I mean, you've been very successful in multiple different aspects of really, I would say you're kind of been on the more the marketing side. Well, um, actually most of that. So I, I sort of left the advertising world um, in early in my career. That was my yeah. first phase of my career my specialty in advertising was writing. And okay. so writing became my passport into all kinds of other areas because everybody needed writing. Right. The area that I ended up in was, um, for whatever reason, didn't plan this, but I ended up doing, uh, you know, work with a lot of the thought leaders that we all know. And so yeah. I would write, you know, different things and direct projects for some of these guys. Um, you know, so, so I like Maxwell and yeah. So I Tony Robbins and yeah. Tom Stanfield, Tom no, he, all he these would, great he would, writers. He, would, he said, I didn't qualify. Oh, okay. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, one of the places, uh, that was so pivotal for me was the Drucker Institute. Um, and I worked on a massive project with them, uh, that really was my MBA in management. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, wow. So I, so we did this multi-part series called the Drucker Management Path, and I just learned so much. But that was my passport into. It. So I was working with different thought leaders, and of course, just because of the the decade that I the decades that I was doing that, um, you know, the big emphasis is has been leadership for so mm -hmm. long, and so a lot of these leadership gurus, Henry Cloud. Ken Blanchard, right? Um, I was Maxwell, Patrick Lencioni, you know, so I've been around all these guys, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, and I ended up learning about leadership. And then that became, uh, you know, once I became a person who kind of knew my way around some of those concepts, I started getting invited into organizations to help them think through things and do strategic planning and stuff like that. So a consultant, essentially. Got it. Um, okay. And then one day, so we, you know, I, I, I watched this word culture sort of show up on the radar. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always been there, but it's never yeah. been the emphasis. It was always kind of like a mission statement. You're supposed to have it, yeah. you talk about it, but what does it really mean? And does anybody yeah. really, really care well, about it? You know, if you just take the business lexicon, I'll bet you if you did a word count, you would find that leadership was like, you know, one of the most commonly referred to terms, either, you know, literally or at least in concept right but culture has become more and more so in fact um merriam webster made culture the word of the year just about a decade ago or so so wow. you know, e even they acknowledge that the word is starting to show up in the radar you know radar of everybody so how is Miriam, by the way i haven't yeah. heard <laughs> is she? Is he or is she i don't even Miriam's a you know, or just or just an yeah. entity <laughs> like, that whole webster say, family <laughs> the family they're doing <laughs> they're doing great i mean yeah, they're doing yeah. great you, just, people, yeah i just they've only written one book though so <laughs> <laughs> did you write that book ben? did editions. you write that book I, I did, that wasn't yeah. i ghost yeah. wrote the dictionary um the thesaurus Roger's uh, <laughs> the family um, next door. Anyway, uh, um, 
but uh, yeah, so so one day, one of my clients who is um, a semi-famous thought leader has written a bunch of books, um, approached me. So I was ghostwriting books too yeah. during this whole time, and and so um, that's been that in itself is is interesting. Um, pulling an all-nighter with Tony Robbins across <laughs> multiple time zones. Um, so you really get in deep with these guys sometimes. And, and, but so one of my other clients, um, said, Hey, I'm writing a book on culture. You know, can you help me out with it? And so I was so excited because I'd heard culture bouncing around as a term. And I thought, you know, I don't really know what culture is, um, yeah. or how it works or anything. I know what management is, you know, there's mm -hmm. a, there's a, like a rigid framework, you know, there's very quantifiable skills. Yeah. Same with leadership. You know, mm -hmm. there's 21 irrefutable things that you need to do to be a leader and all this right. stuff. So clearly defined, but I was a little bit, uh, you know, like, I don't know what culture is. So yeah, this is going to be great because this guy is just, you know, an absolute thought leader of thought leaders. Mm. And so you know, I started working on the project and I was like, okay, well, we hadn't gotten going yet. So, cause it was just, you know, random ideas and tips and tricks and stuff like that. And I thought I kept waiting for the framework to come out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it took a year, you know, I spent a year working on this project and I just kept sort of, you know, kindly pushing back and saying, well, okay, but that's really just, you know, those are leadership concepts. We're not really helping anybody understand culture. By the end of that process, um, you know, after a year, I just kind of said, Hey, you know, um, let's pursue some, in other words, you haven't defined this yet. Right. So, I, yeah. I so this is a merely a comic book. So we're going to have to bag it and go with something yeah. else. It was more, yeah, it was, it was more like a daily guideposts kind of <laughs> okay. thing. You know? yeah. It, just, Got it. Yeah. it was cool, cool stories yeah. and all this. And you can't yeah. say that culture's not related to it, but it wasn't in terms of you know, had no academic structure to it or anything like that. Mm -hmm. so lacking research. Okay. I came away from that realizing that nobody understood really, nobody had any kind of, you know, infrastructure to help me understand how to navigate culture to define it or anything. So mm -hmm. I call these things organizational disciplines. Okay. So, and I, what I mean by that is an organizational discipline is something you know, that an organization uses, but it's a, it's a body of skills and knowledge that enable them to, to function. You know, mm -hmm. management is an organizational discipline. Um, mm -hmm. Leadership is an organizational discipline and they're, they're essentially the operating mm -hmm. system um, for an organization, you know, and if you look back since the industrial revolution, you know, there's, there's been um, an organizational discipline in the beginning management, you know, when all the ag agricultural workers walked off of the fields and into factories and loading docks and things like that, mm -hmm. you know, Drucker literally wrote about um, how, you know, hey, I spent about 10 years. This is what he said. He said, I spent about 10 years helping people figure out how that happened. You know, what does it look like when you put a massive group of people under one roof and right. try to get mm. them to work and create? And so yeah. he basically said, I knew that I was laying the foundations of a new discipline. That's what he, those are, you know, he mm, wrote yeah. that. And so that was the beginning of management. You know, he's considered the father of modern management. And so 
that management was the the operating system or the organizational discipline for you know 50 years that's all there was prior to that point there had never been an organizational discipline um outside of you know management didn't exist mm -hmm. um, outside of maybe military circles um you know at about 50 years later leadership sort of eclipsed management you know mm -hmm. and that's indicative of a transition that happened in the psychology of the workforce another 50 years goes by and we're sort of seeing the transition from leadership into culture now and so we're kind of at the stage in fact i feel sometimes a little bit like drucker must have felt when he was trying to define management right mm -hmm. yeah because, it's a new yeah. it's a new you really are capturing i think what what leaders are struggling with, uh, whether you're leading a team of 10, you're leading yeah. your own, you know, mm -hmm. small group, you're leading a major organization. It's like, there has been this sort of philosophy about how, how leadership and management work. It's like, they're sort That's of the right. top of the pyramid. We tell you, we set vision, you know, we set direction yeah. and then we get the team all. And then people are like scratching their heads and go like, but the workforce doesn't care about that anymore. That's I right. mean, they're, they're like, they're like, what, we're not really, you know, we don't wake up in the morning going, what's a company going? And like a lot of times we, we lead workshops, we'll say, yeah, people don't care about the company vision. I yeah. mean, it, it, they care about it related to how it helps them get what they want, but it's changed. And so that's what you've, yeah. you've kind of articulated or captured it in your model, which I think is brilliant. And I'm sure you're going to unpack about how, what drives, where are we now and what ultimately is driving culture. And then I, I know you're going to talk about the impact of, of having a vibrant yeah. culture or well, healthy culture. So where, to understand where we are now, it helps to kind of look at where we've come from, mm -hmm. uh, because what you're describing and the reason that the, there's some confusion around how to be a leader is because there used to be a way to be a leader. And then there was mm -hmm. another way to be a leader. And now we're into an era that's none of those two even. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, during the management era, it's very simple and clear once you hear it, but, um, the during the management era the social contract was based on authority yeah okay mm -hmm. and that's just mm -hmm. the supply and demand of of the workplace um you know it was all about survival mm -hmm. and if you want a job you're going to do everything i tell you or you're out of here there's four other guys at the fence waiting you know mm -hmm. every day to to take your place and so authority was sort of the social you know the the operating system of that social contract for that whole mm -hmm. period. We all agree with that. You're in charge. I follow you. I listen to you. Yep. Yes, sir. No, no, man. Yeah. You know, so. and, and it's kind of, it really just follows Maslow's hierarchy because once management sort of was set up as the organizational discipline to, to guide all of that. Um, and you know, there's all of these automatons doing essentially what anybody would do before we had, you know, we hadn't invented robots yet. So, right. um, you know, they sort of use their reptilian brain to execute all the things that a robot would eventually do. But, um, but authority was the, you know, the social contract was based on authority. And just like Maslow predicted, um, about 50 years went by and the, the needs, instead of being survival needs, the workforce was asking for success needs you know they mm -hmm. were saying hey um this is where the american dream kind of became a thing you know mid 20th century and so forth um the yuppie you know the young right. upwardly yeah. mobile professional um, wall street home ownership you know higher education all that kind of stuff you know the, the whole concept of 
of, uh, you know, Wally Cleaver or, or Ward Cleaver walking mm. down the, the street of a home he owns, you know, with his briefcase and a suit and all that. Yeah. So there was sort of a, a shift from survival to success, you know, advancement, some esteem, recognition, um, status. Um, and, and these are just psychological realities that happen. So the, the sort of governing, uh, social contract switched from, uh, authority to influence. Mm. Um, mm. and you know, the needs, when the needs go from survival to success, the, the social contract shifts from authority to influence. Well, guess what? Management was set up for authority. So we need a different organizational discipline. We need a different operating system for companies to mm -hmm. use. And how do order... we influence? How do we influence people versus just tell yeah. them, be clear about plan, organize, and control. Management's plan, yeah. organize, and control. Here's the plan. We organize, we control leadership. How do we influence our workforce? How do we communicate the benefits to them? How do we get them to change their opinion or beliefs? But that's, you're saying, starting to erode. And, and I love what you're talking about to talk about the next level. Yeah. So, um, and it became sort of a, a, a conversation. It was like you, it's a negotiation, you know, well, I'm yeah, the employee. Right, yeah. So the power shifted right there. Mm -hmm. and, yep. and it's, it's, you know, I don't know if it's really mutual, neutral, shared power or anything like that, but clearly uh, a lot of people are describing that, you know, nowadays um, the, the whole script has been flipped. Mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. the power exists with the employee. So I don't know if that's completely true, but what I do know is that it, after authority and influence, it went to something called autonomy. Mm. And ah. so of course autonomy, that's why you hear the word thrown around and that's why mm. we had the great resignation or what some people call the big quit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's this idea that everybody wants to, you know, kind of call their own shots and, and do their own thing. But, but what I rep, I see it as a representation of the, the, the power shifting to the employee mm. uh, more. And so, you know, the whole issue got uh, brought to a head with the pandemic and the shutdown and everybody yeah. having to go home. Well, when it came time to invite them back to work, um, you know, there were a lot of people who weren't going to go back to the way yeah. it was before. And we're not going to do the vaccine mm -hmm. potentially. We're not going to do, we're not going to do what you tell us to do. Something right. happened where they yeah. felt even more power or more choices. Yeah. And so, um, a, you know, obviously that's the third epoch in the mm -hmm. modern workplace. That's the sort of third era that we're in. Did you get that tab? Did you write epoch. that down? Epoch. Yeah, yeah. Epoch. Yeah. Well, they were in into... Star Wars, weren't they? The epochs? Didn't they <laughs> yes. kill the little epochs yeah. that were running uh, around? Third, yes, uh, little fuzzy things. <laughs> fuzzy things. Epochs. Yep. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so... The, What's the, Miriam say about Epoch? <laughs> Not Miriam. as much as Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Roger. Yeah. Um, but in the age of autonomy, you know, we, we need a new organizational discipline. Um, mm -hmm. So we have, and again, you don't get rid of management just because you have leadership. And right, you yeah. don't get rid of leadership and management just because you have a new organizational discipline. Um, so I've come to be convinced that culture is another organizational discipline. It's a little bit like rushing nesting dolls. You know, you just kind of mm -hmm. keep adding them to each other. Right. Um, but the problem is that nobody's defined what it is. Mm -hmm. um, 
So that was the work that I set out to do. You know, when most culture work in the past has been about, you know, this kind of eclectic mix of random ideas and tips mm-hmm. and tricks. And most of the books, um, you know, I love their, their, their thinking. The one thing I think they're lacking, though, um, is this sort of all-encompassing, comprehensive, you know, finite set of skills and, and disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're going to become an Olympic athlete, there's a very, you know, clearly defined, finite set of things you have to do in any, you know, sport. Um, to get ready for that. And so, um, you know, people uh, just haven't had that. So um, I set out my whole objective, you know, ever since I was asked to write that book that never happened, um, was to create a a complete system or, or an approach that makes culture a predictable operation the same way that you know, supply chain or marketing or finance, you know, those Mm -hmm. are very established um, you know, operation, operational. So uh, make it, move it from intangible to tangible. It's measurable. Yeah. People can, can drive yeah. it to, to define for us what drives culture. Cause I love how you talk about, it. I love your three C's. Yeah. So actually, uh, the three C's is something else. The three C's, um, describe the needs of the modern workplace, you know, what, oh, okay. I, so that's not the driver, it, I guess it your ability one. to, your ability to meet those needs. Yes. is what drives culture. Yeah. Okay, explain well, what explain me, what you Let saying. me back up to okay. the, sort of the big picture. So if you wanted a formula for culture in general, just, mm-hmm. you know, let's not get down in the weeds too much here. But culture is equal to um, core values divided by employee value proposition. So let me explain okay. that. Mm-hmm. So culture equals core values divided by employee value proposition. So Essentially, I'm describing two things that are necessary to create an engaging, you know, vibrant, strong, successful culture um, and and fulfill those instincts that you have to to create a great workplace where everybody's doing what they do and love what they're doing and contributing to profitability and all that. You know, we're all clear on what culture should do for us. Right. Yeah. But how do you get there? And so most people. Um, fall into one of two camps. They, they either, uh, define their core values. You know, these are the behaviors that we want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, or they say, here's our mission or our, or our vision, you know, they get all clear on, you know, this is what our culture, the definition of our culture should be. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that people do instinctively, and by the way, that's a really important, uh, instinct to have. The other thing they do is they, they think about, you know, how to implement that. And, um, you know, like they'll pick up on communication or they will, um, you know, talk about recognition programs, you know, just tips. I call them silver bullets because and these all, are the core values of the, are you saying, you know, these are actually the, the ways to, um, sort of generate traction with your core values, you know, okay. um, and, and these, again, these are good instincts. These are right, but nobody had ever sort of said, okay, here's the, here's the exact formula that's predictable and everything else. So when I say that core values divided by employee value proposition is the definition of culture, or the, the, the formula for creating culture, right? What I mean is that it's two steps. You have to clearly define 
who you want to be, what are the on-target behaviors, what are the off-target behaviors, what are the kind of people we want, what are the values we promote and all that. But then um, you have to create an organization that can contain all those, that will embody those. And hmm. I think of it a lot of times, it's like if you mixed up you know, this literal formula, liquid in a bottle, these are all our core values, but then you pour them out into the organization and there's not the structural integrity in the organization to hold it. There's all these cracks and everything. The employee value proposition is what determines whether the organization will embody those or not. Because, and let me explain that. There's a there's an element of psychology involved in how I will respond to something that you have. So if you're doing a good job of you know taking care of me, it's the same mm -hmm. as your other centered concept in mm -hmm. in selling and leading. Is if you know in that situation, um, if I'm setting myself up as uh, an important resource for the buyer. Mm -hmm. then they're more likely to go to recognize me as someone to embrace and engage with and everything else. Employees are the same way with their employer. Um, they're essentially customers of the employer. Right. And so to the degree that you meet my needs, if mm -hmm. I'm your employee, to the degree that you meet my needs, um, I will be more engaged with you and I will adopt your values yeah. Um, you know, this is why, by the way, children adopt the values of their parents because they, their whole life, they've been the key to having their needs met. Yeah. Um, it's not something that they set out to do intentionally. Um, it's just the way that reptilian psychology works that when our needs are met, you know, you see this all throughout the animal mm -hmm. kingdom when, um, you know, there's imprinting on the, the mother because she's the one who provides and, and that's a bond that just never goes away. Well, employers and employees develop a similar thing. Um, it starts with a salary. Um, it starts with, you know, recognition and things like that. Mm -hmm. But this is the area that frankly has been, uh, way too fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Um, and, rather than just say, here's five great ways to build culture in your organization. Um, you know, we've taken a little more of a scientific approach, you know, I've done a lot of ethnography work in different companies to try to figure out what drives the culture and basically have come back with 15 things. And by the way, they correspond to there's seven things that the management discipline delivers. There's five that the leadership, delivers, you know, in terms of the value proposition to the employee. And now there's three that are added because of being in the age of autonomy. And that's where the, the craft causing community, the three C's come up. So essentially these 15 things describe the needs of a worker today. Mm -hmm. Most of them, they're not even aware of, they're not going around saying, you know, if I had to make a list, these would be the top 15 things. These are subconscious psychological needs that, um, you know, great employers, um, leverage. And so, and, and, uh, anyway, we put them all into this, this sort of canvassing tool, this assessment tool and this system called the culture MRI. And, you um, can and measure. so, yeah, hey, so can I, let that. me, let me back up because I want to make sure we're tracking with you because I'm, I'm loving what you're talking about. 
So let's say core value, right? A core an organization has a core value. Let's say yes. the core value is something along the lines of exceeding customers' expectations or the okay. ultimate customer experience. So go the extra right. mile, something like really how we can teach this. So that's what we care about or delivery on always deliver on time, you know, something something that that's yeah. a value of the company, right? So we we're stating that as important. Yes. Um, then you're saying, well, the employee has needs. Yes. Right. So the employee has needs and you're saying they have 15. Is that what you're saying? The employee has yeah. 15 needs and your ability to meet those 15 needs. Uh, and uh, obviously communicating what the core, core values are will ultimately drive your culture. Because they're, the, they're not going to do the, or they're not going to do, do the core value if those, their 15 are needs aren't it. met. Right. They're not well, going to embrace it. Is that so, how it works? That's right. So think about this. Um, if inadvertently you omit or neglect one of my core, one of my psychological needs, my core psychological needs, um, I have no choice, but subconsciously I'll have to kind of check out from you for a minute and go get my needs met somewhere. Right. So mm -hmm. let me just make yeah. this tangible for you. So, um, let me walk through some of those needs for you. So, um, number one is safety and security. Um, you know, that I have to know that I'm not, you know, in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. Um, by yeah. the way, one of those, one part of the safety and security is emotional safety and security. So, right. um, I need so to, tab, know it's that. like tab doesn't like me to tell him that he's an idiot. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, cause it makes me feel un emotionally unsafe. Yeah. When I un yell at him. Yeah. yeah. Insecure. Yell at him. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, if, if a boss is a little bit condescending or passive aggressive or anything mm -hmm. like that. You know, I have, I have a core need um, to be safe emotionally. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so think of the dissonance that that creates if I'm subjected to a workplace where, where that need isn't met. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to result in disengagement. Eventually, I'm going to have to, you know, figure out something to do. And by the way, there's modalities that an organization can use in order to fix that, you know, so that mm -hmm. we can address that and make sure that that's um, a skill that everybody has to understand you know, skills, self-awareness, you know, how do yeah. I come across to people and, and so forth. So compensation's another one. Um, you can't always, you know, the, the business modeling doesn't always mm -hmm. let you, you know, control that one the way you, you know, you can't just give out raises to everybody to solve all problems, but you also have to keep tabs on that one, monitor it and understand the role that it's playing in the big equation. Once these things all fit together, um, another big one is operational efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, you know, mm. I need to, you know, don't make me go to the store to fax a memo to, you know, as part of my daily operations. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. get the machinery here or, right. um, you know, if there's something broken in the, in the operating system, yeah, if or the model, company doesn't have their act together, it's like, it, it's a, it's a need yeah. for a company to know. Yeah. Yeah. Cause what people want is they want to be able to contribute their, their skills to an organization. Well, the organization has to be able to accommodate their brilliance, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so there's some give and take there, uh, training and, and, uh, support is another one. You know, those are things I need in order to do a good job. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, workload, there has to be some kind of ability to have an outside life. Um, so those are all sort of some of the management level right. things. Those are basic, Mm -hmm. basic functions that management enabled organizations to deliver to the workplace a long time ago. 
Um, then when you add leadership skills, you get into things like I've got to be able to, you know, as an employee, I have to have a general understanding of the vision of where we're going and why mm -hmm. we're doing what we're doing. Um, I need to know kind of where you're taking us if you're the leader. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I tell people all the time that there's three things that everybody wants to know about their CEO. They want to know what do you do all day? What do you care about? And where are you taking us? And essentially those are, um, you know, I want to know who's driving the boat and what they're thinking about. And if I'm going to mm -hmm. stay on this boat, um, mm -hmm. the second sort of leadership need. Tab, I'll answer that question for you later. Yeah. 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 It's a big <laughs> secret. I, we've been waiting for the reveal, <laughs> yeah. big reveal. Yeah. 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 Um, the second one for leadership. I had, I had lunch. I had leftovers for lunch, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. And you're, yeah. you're taking us to the fridge later. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, there's some guide, you know, the, again, modalities around how to, how to do that. There's, um, you know, some really important concepts and how to create a vision and communicate that to the organization. Right. But these are the big level needs is what you're, yeah. Well, these are leadership level things. Mm -hmm. These are the, the, the needs that were met by the leader. leadership. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, if you're a good leader, you're, you're meeting these five things. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I need to know that, that not only, uh, am I doing a job, but doing this job is somehow advancing me and preparing me. Uh, maybe it's career pathing that you've established mm -hmm. or some kind of way for me to, to move up. Um, mm -hmm. but advancement is the concept there. Yeah. Uh, another one in leadership is innovation. Um, I don't want to work at some place that's just antiquated and dying. Mm -hmm. I want to know that there's an effort to keep us at the forefront of things. Um, a big one is empathy. Mm. That leadership is all about, remember, we're shifting into influence here. So that means there has to be some element of you care about me personally, not just the con contributions that I make to the organization. Right. Um, and then finally, authenticity, that people want to know that, um, that the organization, that there's a a, a an alignment and a consistency between what the organization claims and who the people really are mm. um so then if all of those needs are met then you've met the need for survival and success you've met in general the need for success and now what happens to the psychology of the workplace this just goes right back to maslow is now we start to you know another 50 years goes by and we start to think man what I really want is not so much success, although I don't want to get rid of that or survival and success, but I want significance. Mm. And so this is where this defines the millennial worker. You know, mm -hmm. it's like they want more than anything else. Well, it's millennial be. and where, what are the other Z and yeah. Z Y. y you know, yeah. I mean, this is why not? Um, well, yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah. they all, you know, and by the way, that's not an age demographic that we're describing. It's, you know, all of us. A value system, yeah. Yeah, all of us today um, at mm -hmm. any age have a tendency to, to be looking at, you know, what's the significance? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Does it matter? Does it make a difference yeah. and everything else? It feels like what's happened then is that people, like you said, it's not just an age thing. Like we're like, ah, that's the way millennials are. That's our, It's actually, like you said, I think it's just people have actually finally given themselves the, the freedom to, to, to explore right. what and really matters, what really we've got enough. Most of and us guess have where enough. that freedom comes from. That yeah. freedom comes from the fact that I don't have to, you know, hunt wild boar in order to have food to eat. Right. You know, yeah. that I, there's, 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 
I live in a society um, where I don't have to worry about where my next meal's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And by the way, uh, you know, I don't have to think about or or scrape and, and hunt for opportunities to advance. You know, the whole American dream has been developed around the concept that there's equal opportunity for everyone. So right. those are birthrights now. Mm-hmm. Success, yeah. survival and success are birthrights. So mm-hmm. what does that leave us desiring? It leaves us with the freedom to desire and ask the ultimate question, which is why am I here? You know, why am I here? Which is the number one selling book of all times is related to purpose. Yeah. Why am I here? What? Yeah. Is that really the number one book? And I think it is the top. I think the top uh, purpose. I thought you were talking life. about the Bible. Me too. No, well, the purpose. It's in the there. Top, I think the top the three selling books of, and I, I read this somewhere. You have to check me. The purpose driven life. Purpose driven life. The Bible. In that order. It, it, yeah. yeah well, probably the Bible. I'm sure it's the Bible. Purpose driven life. And, and I then think it's, it's the big book. The Alcoholics uh, Anonymous big book. And they're really? all about kind of the same thing, honestly. Yeah. Well, so I'll talk um, about something greater than. Yeah. Yeah. So, so people want significance in their work. They, um, and so this is where craft cause and community come in because what we have discovered from looking is the, the way that people experience significance in their work. There's three different channels, Mm -hmm. three different ways. It's kind of like love languages Mm -hmm. that when it comes to experiencing significance in my work, um, it's not purely by, you know, from, from the word <laughs> autonomy means that I don't have to work and, you mm-hmm. know, I can go do whatever I want or work any way I want. That's not really, if you drill it down, that's not how, how it, what it means. What it means is that um, some people are motivated by working a craft. You know, this is just think about love languages. So, you know, similar to that, um, you know, there are people who are natural born tinkerers who are natural Mm -hmm. born in sales. This is a big deal because it's sort of a craft to learn how to work the numbers, um, how to, um, you know, pitch the business. Adjust. um, Yeah. And yeah, for a lot of of people, it's a craft of selling. And Mm -hmm. so, um, but but craft is one of the three ways somebody's motivated in this era of autonomy. The second one is a cause. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, some people, there's a type of person mm-hmm. um, who their primary motivation is to do work that matters or to do mm-hmm. something that matters in the world um, that makes a difference, that has almost a transcendent uh, meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. The, the third motivational type is community. Mm-hmm. And that is that the more than anything else, what I want to do is be part of a team. Um, you know, I just want to, to be doing something that Tom and Tab are doing too, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I, I get a sense of identity, um, you know, from, from this whole tribe that I belong to. So craft to be good at something, Master. cause, cause to believe in something mm-hmm. and community to belong to something. Those are the three sort of expressions that we see. And everybody kind of has all th- three of them in some capacity. Yeah. What, what was so interesting is how um, most people will have a dominant one. And so this is where it's so, you know, if you think about how to manage your own career or how to create an organization that, you know, engages its people 
um, you have to know this about your people. You have to know this about yourself. Mm -hmm. you know, like I, for example, I'm very heavily craft, you know, that's why I do the work I do because I love tinkering, mastering a subject, figuring out how things work. And so mm -hmm. if I ever so got, gravitate more to craft than cause and community. Yes, I do. Second okay. for me is community. You know, mm -hmm. I could do almost any craft as long as I'm hanging out with you guys, you know, that we're doing yeah. something because it's just right. so much fun to me. Um, and so why don't you I return my phone calls? Just yeah. <laughs> cause he's busy with his craft. So yeah, get over just, it. Yeah. Just, I was, yeah. Uh, sorry. Wood, uh, we'll wood take wood. that. You know what? We'll take that offline. <laughs> I, I was, I was playing with my wood burning kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was a good wood, wood burner, by the way, yes, I could wood, wood burn like wood champion burner. and leather work. I did a lot of leather work, Ben. Mm -hmm. See, you're See, a craft guy. I'm mm -hmm. a craft guy who's lost. So, so uh, we craft guys need to, you know, be able to see ahead of time if I'm considering a job and it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, being a craft that I'm going to be able to master, right. you know, or here's a big one. Um, you know, the age of millennials and the age of the, you know, the big quit or the, the great resignation. What about the community folks? Yeah. Whose, whose companies just announced, uh, I was talking to a guy yesterday and his company is announcing next week um, that they are going to uh, go to a flex work schedule. And um, I was imploring him <laughs> unsuccessfully <laughs> in that case, that, you know, think through the community piece, you guys, you know, have you looked at this? Because there's a lot of people who are dying on a vine, because yeah. they can't be around all the people. So, um, but but that, you know, is a reflection of the fact that um, some people just really more than anything are motivated because they're part of a tribe. Um, they need to have that proximity. And, um, you know, that's a big part of getting a need met. And mm. guess what? If I don't meet that need as their employer, they'll eventually become a little bit checked out yeah. and they eventually will probably their productivity yeah. will fall off. Um, their ability to, to, contribute to profitability for my company is going to fall off and eventually, you know, it could result in turnover for me. And that's also mm -hmm. very costly. So this is a good, this is probably a good time to transition into the impact of this. Cause I, by the way, love what you're sharing. I am learning a lot, but it so captures what I've been sensing going on and what you see and what, you know, with the pandemic and how people feel and what's been happening but I love the idea that you want to manage your career. Like you, if you're in sales and you want to manage or whatever you're doing and you want to manage your career, you're looking, these are my needs. And I like, I personally don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through what you're talking about related to craft cause and community because the pandemic really hit me hard mm -hmm. because I did have some level of community, even though we were virtual before the pandemic, I at least traveled and saw customers and we would, I would travel with our team. And there was some, when there was no connection, that was very difficult for me. Um, yeah. And so going back to a virtual environment, I can tell my emotional bank account was low mm. and you know, I'm struggling. Okay. So I need to look at that, right. I need to test that. And how do I get that need met? Cause a lot of our conversations about being a virtual company were around practicality. Mm. It, it's always around, well, you get better people and people have this. I'm like, yeah, but what about the emotional side of it? And I think that's what you're bringing up. And if we know that is what I'm hearing you say, then I can pick the place where I'm going to work and I'm going to thrive. Yeah. But as a leader, 
I'm thinking like you just brought up empathy. You know, I need to be reminded that when, uh, you know, one of our key people is sick right now, my, my go-to thought as a leader is not empathy, mm. right? My go-to thought is what are we going to do next week? Because yeah. you're sick and we were supposed to meet and we've got this thing going. And so I need to be reminded like that's going to ultimately drive culture. So this is just so important. Plus like the operational efficiency, like we bumped into that with a new employee like two months ago where they, they, because of some changes in personnel, there was an operational efficiency and the person didn't like that. You could tell like that had a negative impact or could have a negative impact, or you can see how that would negatively impact culture. But let's talk about what does that really mean? So you got, how do we, do we have levels of culture? Do you have labels for, you know, toxic versus thriving or, and, and what, how do we think about measuring culture? And then what is the impact of, of a positive culture versus a negative culture? Well, I like to start. No, that's a long question, but. Yeah, well, it's good. I like to start with the, the financial impact of it and not just, Hey, you know, aphorisms about, you know, you're going to be more profitable. I want to know exactly how much money is at stake. And so another part of the, the, the algorithm for me was, all right, let me figure out, let's start with what are you spending on, on your staff, on your people? Um, you know, this, this, by the way, the reason, so think about this. So Um, if we can pay our people less, it's less impactful. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right, Tab. Right. Let's just right, to, right. I like that's the takeaway. Okay, that's a great takeaway. Thanks, Ben. Well, let yeah. me let me start with. No, but see, look at what you're spending on your obviously your investment in your 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 most important capital, right? Your your people. Well, let me let me. I love the macroeconomics of this, so let me just point this out. You know, the um, if you think about it, we were really good at productization early. Mm-hmm. You know, after the industrial revolution there was just incredible technological breakthroughs in how to create products and bring them to market. You know, Procter and Gamble sort of just mastered the whole, you know, how do you, how do you create a product? And so by now we've squeezed all of the potential, the diminishing returns from, you know, let's figure out an even better way to make a product or bring right, a product yeah. or service to reality. You know, mm-hmm. there's diminished returns on all of that whole field or that, that sort of science mm-hmm. of how to do that. The other thing is um, the process. Um, so that, you know, you think about the sort of the three components of a business, there's product, there's process, and there's people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so the process has even been just exploited for all of its potential. So mm-hmm. we've got all of these incredible models. We've got, um, you know, things like ISO 9002, you know, there's all of these just deeply yeah, defined. Yeah. And well, that's the, these are easy fixes. Yeah, I can control like, fixing the process. I can control fixing the product. Yeah. It's like the cockpit of an airplane, you know, you yeah. just flip that switch and, and, and yeah. so products processes, but guess what? Because we're so illiterate when it comes to culture, um, you know, the, the remaining sort of, uh, unexploited the third P uh, natural resource is mm-hmm. our people because we mm-hmm. haven't done as good a job yet as figuring out how to wring out additional potential. And so we're looking at the, the, in terms of, you know, in our GDP sort of conversations, where is the untapped oil reserve? Mm-hmm. And it, it is in 
the product, the performance of people, the productivity and performance of people is the largest untapped reserve in the global economy right now. Hmm. Um, engagement in, in North America, let's just say in the West, mm -hmm. engagement scores are around in the thirties in terms of. And how, and you, and just basically that means people that are just that means 70% are not engaged. 65 to 70% of the people are not engaged. That means if I'm paying somebody $100,000 a year, I could be getting as little as $50,000 worth of return on that okay. investment. Right. Um, globally, it's online. even worse. Yeah, I got to make them work. Glo yeah. And, and globally, it's even lower. It's less than half of that globally. So 15% so, globally. So if we could recoup that. Mm-hmm. If imagine if we could recoup some of that lost energy, um, mm -hmm. then uh, it that represents because think about the the massive amount of of money that's spent on human resources. Um, it, it represents the largest area of opportunity right now. You know, when I said that we had sort of reached the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that this is the first time in the history of mankind that the workforce has reached the air, you know, the, the needs of sig significance. Um, mm. That's never happened before. Um, there's always been one or two folks who, you know, right, but somewhere not the, out, yeah. yeah, like some, you know, overfed prints back mm -hmm. in the 1800s or something, but we've got an entire workforce now that's looking to, you know, experience significance. That's never happened in all of civilization. Um, the Roman era, uh, uh, the Roman mm -hmm. empire didn't happen. So, um, but well, and you uh, can see it in the television shows. Like you look at the shows, the popular shows. Yeah. Uh, it's just that they're all have this sort of undercurrent theme, not all, but there's a lot of them that have a theme of doing something more than just living, yeah. like having purpose and how you treat even the jaded comedians are having, you know, these shows like I'm watching, uh, Rich Gervais, uh, how do you say Richard Rich Gervais? Yeah. Gervais, 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 his show Afterlife. I mean, that guy's mm -hmm. like, I never thought that that would move in a positive direction, right. and it did. It's like it, it's, it's an interesting show, but um, yeah. Well, because I'm sitting here going, if I'm if I'm a leader, I'm a manager. Like the big takeaway for me here is I'm going, I've got to get connected to these three C's that have never been on my radar. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that what yeah. that meant? I need to be learning my people, craft, community, yes. like figuring out what they care about. Just like we talked about the power of, you know, personality styles. It's, you know, Tom, like we talk about serve more, you got to care so that you learn so that you do. That's, you know, obviously mm -hmm. something. Yeah. You got to know what this is. And then what I'm hearing you say, Ben, by doing that, there's a, there's a very measurable financial yeah. impact to doing that. Right. And, and the reason that became important to me was because I would, you know, sit in boardrooms and, you know, C-suites with guys and talking all these abstract terms about, you know, it's going to, you know, it's all theory at this point. Right. Yeah. Right. What um, does this mean? Know, it's probably going to do, but you know, you're probably going to be more profitable and all this stuff. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, if I can't convince the CFO, um, then it really shouldn't be a strategic choice for them. So um, this is where I started collecting, you know, some of the financial impact of this. So first of all, I want to know, you know, what's the headcount here? Mm -hmm. um, what are we spending on labor? 
mm-hmm. um, what's our, t- our top line revenue and so forth. And so um, I discovered some research that had been done in academic circles and it gave me a clear algorithm to be able to compute uh, the relationship between engagement in all these different categories mm-hmm. um, and human performance and output. So essentially the, the tool that we created, um, first of all, it measures all of those invisible needs that don't show up in conversations around the water cooler. And, and certainly, you know, with everyone trying to uh, play along and be nice and be positive, they're never right. going to come out and say, you know, by the way, this is not quite what I'd like it to be. They're going to, you know, present their best self and go along with whatever you give them. But um, so in addition to uh, creating accurate measurements of these 15 needs and, and revealing which ones need attention and, and then giving the modality or the prescription of how to address them, we assign a dollar value to each one based on the, the known financials of the company, the headcount and everything else. So I can tell you, um, that, you know, if your total investment in, uh, in, you know, labor is, um, you know, a hundred million dollars or $5 million, whatever it mm-hmm. is, um, I can tell you based on our engagement scores that come back, I can tell you, first of all, uh, what return on in that labor investment you're getting, uh, based on the engagement score. It's a, it's a pretty simple formula, mm-hmm. um, based on the, the academic research and, 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 when I say academic research, I mean, it was done on actual companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's intuitive. I mean, it's like, if you're talking yeah. about, you know what people are doing, you can tell. And right. I think people are, uh, can recognize if they're, if they're not engaged, they're probably working at 50% and that right. people go, I, I know that can be, that's true. But if I'm the CFO, I need to know exactly. I need, you know, I need really yeah, I need data. solid numbers to be able to make decisions about investing in something to mitigate an issue that comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that then I can say, well, according to the data, um, there's, you know, $17 million worth of lost energy because of, you know, this one issue. And so then I could go look at the issue and I could say, well, mitigation of that issue only costs $72,000. And so now for the investment of $72,000, I can reap a reward of $17 million right, in right. increased mm-hmm. profitability. And so... Um, that's essentially uh, what the culture MRI does is it, it, it quantifies all of these issues that are, you know, normally just, you know, eclectic abstract concepts and, and turns them into a conversation that you can have with a strategic team in, you know, or with the CFO. Um, And, and you can see which things are priorities uh, because up until now we've just had to guess, you know, like I think if we do casual Friday, um, it's going to help. Well, right. you know, will it, you know, um, what if everybody just goes to the golf course on Friday and they don't, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, I think if we replace all of the conference tables in the building with ping pong tables, it'll be more fun, you know, well, you know, uh, proper research ahead of time will tell you what those missing, those invisible felt needs are and how they're not being met. And then we can prescribe a very, um, you know, tangible mitigation plan. Um, and over the years of doing this, um, you know, if it's, it's a little bit like radiology, you know, when I see mm-hmm. certain things on the dashboard, 
of the, you know, MRI results, um, you, you know, there's very known patterns that we see. There's probably, you know, a dozen or so very common patterns. And any of us who do this analysis work can, can go, oh, they need to do these three things. Um, it's going to cost them about this much and they're going to recover, you know, this many millions in the first time I did this for a company, um, they experienced, and this was several years ago. Um, this was before our system was automated and we were doing this manually. Um, but a 5,000 to one return on investment, this is a $750 million company. And we did essentially came back with the causality of where their losses were. And, um, you know, that had them doubling in size within about three years. Um, and it was with the same people, 82% of the so it wasn't growth, even, it didn't even change the team. It was every, 82% of the growth came from existing employees. And it was because we uncovered, um, the, the invisible missing needs that they had. So this is, you know, culture should not be a cost. Remember we're recouping losses. Mm -hmm. And so this is all about ROI for the company. And th like anyway, that. that's how we got into a financial <laughs> conversation because you don't really get very far talking about culture. If it's in abstract terms, you know, is, can you sum it all up? So if I'm a front, let's say I'm a frontline leader and I got 10 people on my team and, um, you know, I'm just like, I just got to make sure my people are more engaged, you know, is yeah. there to a CEO who who's, she's running a $500 million company and she feels like there might be a problem with the culture. Is there, yeah. no, is there kind of a, some quick yeah. go-to um, numbers that you say? So I'll give, you, yeah. The, the, the go-to number is that 46% of any person's productivity is, is, comprised of how engaged they are in their work. 46. So basically half of my productivity is determined not by the operational uh, infrastructure of an organization, or it's not uh, determined by how talented I am or how clearly I was selected. Mm -hmm. Half of my productivity is uh, determined by whether or not I'm engaged in, in what, you know, what I've been hired to do. And, other, and that plays out if you just think about it anecdotally, you know, this whole idea of an athlete having to be in the right headspace and getting mm -hmm. the mindset and, you know, it's all get your mind right. You definitely see that in sales. I've seen that yeah. show up so many yeah. times where you got a presentation or a meeting and it's really important and there's sloppy work with the proposal. They don't right. check the work or they're not really prepared or they kind of whatever. And you go, that's, that's all engagement. Right. And if you don't, it's probably even higher in sales because so much of it depends on, you know, physical and mental presence. Yeah. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, it's clearly, uh, visible just in the anecdotal. If you just think about it, it's like half of somebody's ability to perform, um, you know, in belief. So you think about loss of productivity by 46%, basically, if you have, if you have, if somebody's disengaged. Right. So if your formula is, you know, Okay, I've got 54% that's airtight. I can count on that because the company is just hitting on all cylinders and everything right. else. And now I'm going to put a person in there who's, you know, best talent and everything else. I could end up with just 54% return on investment if they hit zero on engagement. Okay, well, let's say they're, you know, the, the average is 35. So let's say that the, 
the 46% is 35%. So 35% of 46% and then 100% of 54%. So that means if I'm paying them $100,000 a year, I'm getting around maybe $60,000 worth in return. Got it. Yeah. Makes you know, 70,000. Yeah. So you maybe. can make that. Got it. So I'm trying to go to companies now and say, Hey, we can go from, you know, 70% return on that investment. Let's, let's bump it up by five points. You know, let's bump your engagement score up five points. Um, because you play that across the whole organization and we're talking millions and millions of dollars. And all you had to do was, you know, X, Y, and Z. This is why I say the, the, in the, the realm of natural resources to be exploited in, you know, our modern GDP, mm -hmm. human resources are the, the biggest, richest untapped res, uh, you know, resource. Wow. I got, I got, I know I'm looking at the time and I, I think we, we've got to probably wrap up with, um, uh, kind of put all this a bow on this by just making clear what you offer. Cause I think what you're doing is, I mean, as soon as you shared the, the, the culture MRI instrument and I don't even think you want to call it an instrument, but assessment that, yeah. that, that tells an organization, the dashboard, the yeah, dashboard. The thank you. That's the word I was looking yeah. for. A dashboard that explains where we are as a culture. Cause our focus, and what we've been saying this really, my gosh, I don't know, 20 plus years is that organizations that are other centered or are fostering other centered culture are, you know, they they, they sell more, people are more engaged, people are more fulfilled and everything just works. I mean, I think about some of the companies that have wholeheartedly embraced this sort of other centered culture. And I'm not just a commercial for as I got all this from you, Tom. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> I was listening. Yeah. You know, no, it's, oh, it, but it's, it's, it's crazy way. to see how the cultures are different. And it's yeah. funny, the companies that don't, our, our other centered philosophy doesn't resonate. You can, it's a chop shop. Yeah. It's like, what, you know, just sell more. It's almost like we don't really care about our people or culture or customer. It's like, we want to, to make this product efficiently, follow our process, follow our product, do the stuff and make it, make it known to the market. And we're going to, we're going to crack the rip whip and try to yeah. drive process. Yeah. And, and so I, I just love what you're doing. So you provide this culture MRI. Um, mm -hmm. It's a dashboard that helps organizations see um, what, uh, what's happening inside their culture and, and what to do about it. Is that yeah. is a clear path to how to, now is yeah, this something absolutely. you can, that even a, a, you know, if I've got a team of 10, yeah, it's something I can leverage and yep. it's, uh, it, absolutely. It, I, one of my favorite things to do is to work with smaller organizations because so realize that this all started, it's easier to move the needle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This all started, uh, for me with, you know, personally experiencing, uh, you know, this is a great job, but it's not a great job. How can a great job be so bad at the same time? Yeah, so, yeah. so I'm personally connected to, you know, small organizations. Um, people have to go to work every day. You know, I've had the, this is luxury for over 30 years of doing what I love doing. Mm. Um, and I also remember, uh, what it was like to have to go somewhere. Um, you know, yeah, you're like, it's, you gotta it's, go to work. Wow. I mean, yeah. You know, and if we have it's the work. ability and it's not that there's like bad people out there who just need to learn how to get a work ethic and it's most of it comes from the fact that 
organizations aren't all that sophisticated in how they can create a workplace that people thrive. They don't know what in. to do. They don't know what to yeah. do. It's not intuitive. And so we want to mm. teach them. So, um, yeah, a lot of the things you talk about are like, okay, we can build systems for that. Right. Yeah. You know, that's right. But, like you said, the people and probably we can build systems to that. We can control systems. We can measure it. Now we get into this fuzzy stuff. That's right. Empathy and authenticity. I mean, you look at Brene yeah. Brown. I mean, she's just blown up authenticity. That's one of those on your list. Yeah. Vulnerability. The, vulnerability. Um, so, so we, you know, I, the, the surveys that we wrote for this, and by the way, this, a lot of this pertains to assessments and everything. Um, you know, we do some field work, ethnography work to, to round it out, but, but it's all, you know, deep uh, quantification of, you know, those psychological needs. Um, so that it's not guesswork, you know, it's very tangible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, this is set up to, you know, be fit for purpose, affordable for whatever the organization is. Um, one of my values is that if this is, if this doesn't produce return on investment for people, I don't even want to be, and you know, I don't want to try to sell it. So, um, you know, it's, it's priced according to uh, headcount and, um, you know, for small companies, it's super affordable, um, you know, for large companies, um, basically, uh, the whole value proposition or, or the, the premise is that it's going to, you know, if you're paying $10 million to a labor force, um, I want to, uh, it, it boils down to a very, very small percentage to make sure that that $10 million isn't wasted. Mm. Um, so, you know, you pay a lot more for car insurance and this is a little bit like labor insurance. Um, I love to, it. I yeah, love it. That's so, a great word picture. Yeah. That's just great. So Ben, how do people find you? Go to the culture MRI.com, the culture MRI.com. I love that name. And Cap, um, we need to steal that. We're going to call it the sales MRI. Yeah. Sale, yeah. And, and then works. we could probably, if we could, maybe we'll get in the back end, steal all this technology and put him on yeah. business. Yeah. yeah. That's we'll our culture. It's that's our culture. That's a part yeah, of our culture. I encourage that. I've just been following you for what, 30 years now anyway. So that, that mm -hmm. would be fine for me. Um, <laughs> ben, this was awesome. Thank you for your insights. I love it. It's, it's, it's really, yeah, is this I, was, I, I, I really, yeah, I didn't say a lot because I was taking copious notes and I think you've, I think you're onto something. As soon as you share this with me, uh, I immediately thought this is, this is, there's something here. I, I, cause it's, it really takes a lot of the, the, I guess maybe it's reality or what we're seeing out in the, in the workforce. Cause we work with large, large organizations. I mean, we obviously work with all, all sizes, but, right. um, but I guess I'm, I think it is a little easier for smaller organizations to see what's happening They're, They see their culture, right. They're very connected to their culture because they, yeah. they see what's happening. Big organizations are so, they're so, you know, the senior leadership is so many, so many levels removed for what's happening on the street. Yeah. Cause a lot of that's what our work is. We come in and we, we spend time in the field and then bring right. it, to the, to the C-suite level and say, this is what we're seeing. And you can see their reaction. And you're, you figured out a way to automate that, capture it, tell them what the return is, how to fix it. Uh, and I think it's just brilliant. So I hope people will check it out. Well, man, good to, good to see you. Thanks for being on the show. I know you're going to be successful. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us for another episode of Sales with Aslan. Mm -hmm.